Um, yeah, it's nice to see you. Yeah, you too. You too. I've been really excited to, to talk to you ever since we set this up. So. Me too. It's crazy. It's like I've definitely... I've definitely noticed you for a while and I know we've talked like briefly in in DMs a couple of times. I can't remember what it was in regards to maybe just like mutual appreciation or something like that. But the longer that I've been a part of whatever this scene is, the more I realize that like it's very rare to find. uh, Yeah, I don't know to find someone like you, someone who reminds me of me a little bit more in our, in our makeup and composite. I don't know how, why, why I'm being so, I guess, I guess it's like, I know that, um, Uh, I'm sorry, my dog. That's okay. That's okay. Um, what's your dog's name? Georgia. She's right behind me. Oh, so her name is Georgia Giordano. Yeah, <laughs> that was not intentional. Actually, I, I don't think I would have named her that if I was if I was thinking in those terms. But no, yeah, it's cool. It's a celebrity sort of name. Um, but basically, always right next to me. Uh, yeah, hugging me. So that's okay. We'll <laughs> deal with the dog. Um, yeah, but anyway, I guess I just wanted to like you're a queer woman. And, uh, and that, that's rare to, that's hard to come by, uh, in our scene. There just aren't that many. And I, and I know that like woman is, uh, is not necessarily what you identify as. So, but I guess like on some, on some level, I think like from the outside, that's how, how you're viewed and, uh, I don't know. I, I actually, I don't really have anywhere that I can go with this. That's that interesting, except to say that I, I feel similar to you in my identification, and I don't see very many of us out there. But maybe that's not true. I mean, maybe your Twitter feed is full of people that are more like like that. It's it's interesting because I feel like I've always felt. Like there's like this um this outsider lit scene, and I've always felt kind of out outside of that in a way that's super uncomfortable, and I've always a- attributed it to being kind of a gendered thing. Um, like there's this, there's very much this um picture in everyone's head of like the outsider transgressive lit guy, and those guys are awesome, and I love them for the most part, but. Because of that, I've always felt like there was this very big gulf between what I was doing and what I was experiencing and the stuff that was going on around me. And I feel like because in the last couple of years, I've kind of been playing with gender a little bit more and I guess like not identifying as much with being a woman, I thought that that feeling would go away, but it actually heightens it even more. And adds more texture and complexity to the way that I feel like uniquely, um, like kind of marooned. So yeah, I, I would agree with you that it's it's really nice to talk to you. Yay. Another woman slash woman adjacent person who I think we've probably had similar experiences and and you know, I don't I think I've 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 had it fairly easy. Like I think I've been fairly blessed in terms of like people paying attention to my work, and I've never felt like on an 
on like a material level that that's really affected me. Although I guess you can never really tell. Um, but I definitely feel on like the social, like community being part of the scene level, that stuff feels very, very real and can be really frustrating even when it's happening among people that you know you have a kinship with and that like you and appreciate the work you're doing there's always that weird sense of being out of step so i would love to talk more about that i mean i 100 percent agree and it's interesting because i was just thinking about your first book it's called the author confronts bukowski's ghost right and yeah. And I think like that's a really good setup for what we're talking about, which is this idea as a like as a reader, as a lover of outsider literature and and understanding like the just the heft of Charles Bukowski as like a a pillar and founder of that scene. And then to just know when you look in the mirror I mean, when I look in the mirror, like, you know, like I can, I don't look like Charles Bukowski, but I look kind of more like Charles Bukowski than I do like L. Nash, you know? So it's a very, it's a very weird thing to like, to feel sort of middle-aged and, and outside of, of any real, it's, it, I keep the image that comes to mind are like those silverware, uh, holders like those things that go in the drawer and there's like a place for the knives and there's a place for the forks and there's a place for the spoons and there's even a place for like the little spoons and the little forks sometimes and I don't know what the fuck I am I'm like chopsticks or something they, they didn't build this for me and and that's cool right and you would think that that because we're like playing this sort of James Baldwin role like double outsider that we would be somehow cream of the crop but no because I think still there's just this desire to have like the familiarity of of recognition and because the scene is so filled with um online indie guys they gravitate towards each other and 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 it's it's possible that like 30% of them just turned the podcast off because because of the last 3 minutes you know but yeah i mean I'm, go ahead and so you know to get back to like the Cassie's ghost thing i feel like part of the the thing that was frustrating to me with that book is like i put the book like feminist discourse thing and then the other half of people being like yeah fuck Bukowski he represents everything that's wrong with the literary world and like men in the literary world and so this is cool because of that and for me and what I think it was pretty clear that I was trying to do and maybe it wasn't it's a lot more nuanced than that I mean like you said there's this there's this recognition of yourself in in a person who represents a space that isn't built for you and also knowing that that's the closest approximation that you have and having to work with that and having to sort of like maybe not be able to fit yourself in those in those spaces, but figure out how to sell yourself in that context. It's a really nuanced thing. And I think, I don't know, I think when we dilute the conversation down, which like often is what happens to being like, we need spaces for like women. It's like, no, we just need 
because that's not the, that that I would still feel like personally, I would still feel outside of that. And a lot of that is like my own kind of gender shit and my own baggage or whatever. But I think it really comes back to just needing to figure out where, where you stand so that you can practice that kind of self-recognition that allows other people to recognize you in the ways that you want them to. And that's, that's a really difficult thing to explain to people who just kind of have that ready-made and built in and they don't have to think about it quite as much, um, which is the thing I've noticed. And at, over time, I've been a little, I've gotten less frustrated by it because I mean, that's just the water they're swimming in and they don't understand um, that that's something that's hard won for a lot of people. And, and certainly for me and probably for you as well. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the thing that comes to mind also in talking about this is is I don't want to come across as like especially woke in any way. I don't consider myself to be such, you know, but I I remember like I remember like getting very frustrated after like there were two Misery Loves companies in a row that were celebrating specific writers from presses that I love. Um, I, I think it was one was Back Patio and the other one was Pig Roast. And I love both of those presses. And, um, you know, and I'm even like my, I, the book that I'm writing is going to be out on Pig Roast. And I know that Pig Roast has Lisa Carver and whatever, but still largely men and then hearing the stories that were read and the fact that it's not just it's not just that it's men but it's also men with a very like circle jerk like junior high favoritism of gross topics right so it's like the, just the amount of like piss and shit and cum and like the bodily fluids and the, you know, the drunken misbehavior and 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 that being like a a very like foundational part of the literature, the fact that it, that happened twice in a row, I just got very I I just got very like a I got to be in my bonnet about it despite not despite not wanting to have a bee in my bonnet about it. You know, I was, I, I was, I think I like wrote to William and Rudy and I was like, do you guys think about this at all? Like, do you think about the fact that like, it's, it's just attracting so many dudes and like everyone else is just sort of uh, too scared to, to show up because when the, the group is so filled with like piss shit dudes, then, it, you know, but I don't want to change them. I love them. I just want, I want to be a piss and shit me. And I want there to be other piss and shit me's and you's so that it feels like we all get, you know, just a little, like just a little cum bucket for ourselves. Does that make sense? Yes. Everything you're saying makes total sense to me. And I've had such a weird journey over the last six, seven months or so in terms of like misery loves company and that scene in particular. Um, I kind of had a reputation probably for, you know, the first two or three years that I was in the scene or whatever. Yeah, actually, of being like, I want to, oh, I, I actually want to hear, sorry, I shouldn't have interrupted you, but I actually okay. want to know like how you, 
how you came to 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 be part of everything and like maybe a little bit about your your background which we were just about to do seamlessly yeah. and now I interrupted it <laughs> okay um so basically what happened was I got a you know been writing my whole life whatever I got a BFA in creative writing didn't I applied to get I was like the the person who was groomed in the in the uh, I was the person who was groomed in the program I was in um to be like you're gonna go get an MFA and you're like, you know, you're like the star amazing writer or whatever. And I applied for MFA programs, didn't get in. And that was like the thing that I was like, this is what I have to do to like have a writing career. And on some level I knew that that wasn't true, but it was also like, that was the, um, that was the narrative that was being sold. And all of the writers that I knew were like academic people and professors or whatever. And, and, you know, no disrespect to them. They're really good at what they do, but they, they operate in a totally different world that works by totally different rules. And so after I was kind of out of that world, I was feeling very marooned and I ended up um, just like getting online and kind of stumbling into the, the scene through people I had done a few readings with and then kind of gradually getting sucked in. And it completely blew my brain apart to just see like how much there was and how different things were. And over a couple of years, I kind of developed this reputation, I think, of being like that especially woke person, as like you were saying, um, for reasons that I think come down to just a um, feeling frustrated by some of the same things that you mentioned, but not really knowing how to express them and thread the needle in a way that was actually expressing what I was trying to say. And B, um, I was like 22 at the time. So I was, you know, also very much like I have these very staunch beliefs about like what a community is and what it should be doing for me. And so I butted heads with the misery tourism guys a lot on Twitter. Um, a lot of those guys I've had beef with, we've blocked each other, unblocked each other, unfollowed each other, gotten in shit. There's people that I still will not associate with or talk to in the scene because I genuinely think they're shitty people. And over the last I would say maybe a year or so, I have been kind of re-examining some of that because a lot of it is people end up on the wrong sides of these Twitter beefs, but we don't actually have opposing ideological positions. It's really like you, there's this thing that used to happen a lot, which doesn't happen as much anymore, where, or at least in the scene that I'm kind of orbiting around, where somebody is you know criticized or taken to task for something they've tweeted or written or published and it is immediately seen any little bit of criticism is immediately seen as like this person's being canceled and then we have to have this whole narrative of like i'm being canceled well i'm against cancel culture well i'm pro free speech mm -hmm. and everyone's fighting and if you're one of the people who has a more nuanced point of view that's like yeah i think you know these people should be allowed to exist and they're work should be allowed to exist and transgressive writing is important and should be allowed to be written and published but also like if I have a personal issue with this person or they're doing real harm I want to do something about that that gets really dicey and so it's easy to just either jump on one of those sides or just kind of be absorbed into one uh oh sorry I just uh kind of what happened and over to play well with others and honestly you invited me i think oh art can you still hear me i think there's like a yeah connection it, issue yeah there is do you i i i you cut out for like a second but now you're back and i hopefully it won't happen again if it if it does we'll check 
we had some dicey connection stuff happening today. I don't know if it's on your end or our end, but I assume it's on our end. Um, so where did I leave you? You were talking about like be- having a nuanced stance on on whatever the like du jour Twitter beef is or cancellation is, and then being sort of ostracized simply for having a view that isn't staunchly like whatever man like you can write whatever you want to write and anybody who thinks otherwise is a fucking dork yeah (laughs) yeah so essentially that and i've been trying to in the last year or so like you know interrogate that a little bit more in myself like are do i have a problem with these people or did we end up on different sides of a conversation that went sideways when it didn't have to and also like a lot of those people, like, they don't remember me. I mm-hmm. have lived so many different lives in this, like, scene. And I, you know, I was a very different person however many years ago, six, seven years ago, when I was, like, starting to to publish stuff and exist around these people. And so, like, it's, it's time to kind of update the framework a little bit. So you had invited me, I think it was, like, March of last year to one of the... Um, it was like a witchcraft, maybe, oh, yeah. and MC crossover. And that was the first time I ever came to Misery Loves Company. And I was, like, really worried about it. <laughs> oh, I, wow. I was, I was like, okay, I feel like 90% of these guys hate me. I'm not really sure why I'm doing this. And I know that I'm going to be uncomfortable. But I just, like, agreed to do it anyway for some reason. And it was a wonderful experience. It really was. Like, the uh, writing was good. Everybody was so talented. You know that that William is like the sweetest person on earth, and yes. his off-the-cuff commentary on people's work is is incredible. And I was like, man, maybe I'm wrong. And so, little by little, I started coming to more of them. And I was like, you know, I think most of these people I'm wrong about, or at least on some level, I was being unfair about, you know specific things about the scene and it really has like not to put too too much of a you know a bow around everything but it really has like shaped my perception of the scene in a way that has allowed me to like do a lot more with my work because I don't feel quite as um preemptively ostracized as I thought that I was but with all that being said (laughs) <laughs> you know, and, I, and I've told the guys this too, like when I come into Misery Loves Company, especially when I'm not reading that day and I'm just there to listen and, you know, all the guys are talking before it starts, I feel so fucking uncomfortable. <laughs> like, and a lot of that is just me like having social anxiety, but it also is like, I don't have that thing where I feel like, I always feel like I'm like observing the group. Like I always mm-hmm. feel like I'm, I'm, in this other like outsider position, like I'm up in the nosebleeds, you know, mm-hmm. watching it. And it's hard to shake that off. And I, and when I have, when I actually am reading and I feel like I have a quote unquote reason to be there, it feels a little bit different. And after all the readings and there's people talking afterwards, it feels different, but it's still really uncomfortable for me. And I do get this very profound sense of like, I'm still kind of like, not trespassing i'm welcome and i you know my presence is appreciated and i I realize that but it it also just feels like i'm not really supposed to be here i'm getting away with something and Mm. i think that that feeling is really interesting like just to to interrogate more yeah i i think i i mean interestingly i don't feel uncomfortable when i'm there 
and I, and I'm not there very often because the time difference is so uh, horrible that it's you know almost impossible for me to to be there. But when I am present, I I feel um, I feel like my voice deserves to be heard, and I talk I talk in a way that doesn't. I don't feel. Um, I guess I just like I don't feel anxious about talking, uh, and but. I think for me, the the thing has just been like wanting more, just wanting to have f- friends in the scene that that aren't all so easily identified by the same kind of, yeah. I don't, I'm sorry. I, I feel like I keep like stepping on my words because I, I think there is some part of me right now that's like, afraid to insult them on any level lest I be marked as you know um not cool or you know not down or whatever but the thing is is that I do think that this is true for any scene you know and I think of it as sort of like a family unit um like all family units like even the ones that are like we're so open and we talk about everything like those fucking families have more secrets than anyone you know because like the kids know that they can't be anything but like ultra uh compelled to have the same views as their parents right like it's sort of the alex p keaton i know that's an incredibly old reference for you but like that was the family ties show where the parents were like liberal hippies and he was like an, a buttoned up republican and therefore he was like the outsider outcast of the family oh she's frozen again okay you're back We'll just see what happens. We can can edit this stuff out. Okay. You back? Yeah. Okay. I can see you blinking. Did you lose me? Okay. I heard you, but you you froze, but I heard everything you said. Okay. So I don't know. All right. Let's get off of Misery Loves Company because, (laughs) you know what, they're not wasting any time thinking about us. And I think we've spent like quite, quite enough time discussing, you know, whether or not we're cool enough to be invited to the sleepover. So, yeah, that's fine by me. <laughs> um, okay, so I just wanted to talk to you because since we set this up, I've read um, your latest book of poetry, which is called, oh my God, I should have the title in front of me. Tell me, tell me you're worth it. Tell me you've earned it. You were tell close. me you've earned you it. Okay, I'm so sorry. Because that's okay. I focused on that one a bit, but I, but you had written to me and said that you wanted to focus on The Fountain, which was the second book that you wrote after um, the author confronts Bukowski's ghost. And it's it's extended prose. It's a novel. It's a novel form. And you said it was sort of light autofiction. And so I read that. And I don't know how much attention you've had on this book. I don't know what like the... I'm curious, A, like the the way that you why you decided to write a novel in between what seems to be largely poetry collections. And then once you had written it, like what the path to publication was, like how you bounce around from um, one publisher to another, like, 
let's start there and then we can talk about the content of the book. Okay, so there are a lot of questions in there and I'm just going to try to go go chronologically. So um, I started writing The Fountain a couple of times because I wanted to write something about um, like specific experiences I've had in having this like weird like mentor lover friend relationship with like an older guy that I knew but every time I tried to write it it wasn't the right angle because I was trying to write a serious literary fiction novel and I was trying to not make it about me and I was trying to keep it as far away from me as possible and that's just not what the book needed to be um when I started writing, I wrote this entire book like out of order. So all of the chapters, they I kind of wrote them as like little vignettes for the most part. And I think unfortunately you can tell when I had to just read a chapter to get from A to B because I needed to finish the book, which is something we'll get into. But um, but because of that, it didn't feel like I was writing a novel for for most of the time that I was writing it. And it was kind of like, what if this ended up being a novel? That'd be fun. And then um, what happened with 30 West was the editor-in-chief, Josh Dale, was asking if people had, like, things to pitch that were interesting um, to publish for the next year. And I was just like, eh, I'm working on this thing. And I, I, you know, summarized what I thought I was going for, which ended up not being entirely what the book was about. But he was like, oh, yeah, send me what you have. And, you know, he liked it. We we signed a contract and then I had to finish the book, which was an insane thing. Uh, it was middle of 2020 too. So I was like, oh, wow. well, I guess I'll just like sit down and, and finish this. And it was kind of um, a lesson in, in writing as, as like work and discipline because with poetry, like it's something you can pick up and put down. If I write a poem and I don't think it's good, I don't have to edit it. I don't have to do anything with it. I can just write something else. And so that like believe in one idea for as long as it takes to really like write a whole novel was extremely difficult. Um, I'm really proud of it, but I also feel like if I could write it again, there's parts that really are like a thorn in my side that I wish I could have spent more time with. So it's like, I don't know, it's kind of like an interesting um, arc era, whatever, in my like writing career, if it could be called that um, so far. And um, the book came out at the end of 2020. And I think I think, you know, I was happy with the way that it was, was received. And then I, I let it go for a bit because I was working on other stuff. And now when I come back to that book, I just feel like it's there's so much of me in there in a way that I had been so afraid of, but now is like so valuable to me, not just on a personal level, but I feel like that's what, what makes it. And I, you know, I, I, I always want more people to read it because I feel like it kind of got lost. And so I'm really happy that you that it seems like you spent some time with it. And, you know, I hope you got something out of that because it's like my baby. And I don't know how long it will take me to write something that is my baby in that same way, if ever. So, yeah. Yeah. OK. No, that's great. I um, yeah. I, so just to like set up the book from the way that I see it, the book is about a 20 something like early 20s woman fresh out of undergrad in her first like shitty post-college job and there's a lot of like decision fatigue there's a lot of kind of like warm warmth this is not what I thought adult life would be like expectations and in the midst of feeling that way she she goes to this like weekend house party and meets this dude who's 45 has a kind of like 
uh, outsider um, persona, like not a real job, not a, you know, is hanging out with 20 year olds at a house party on the weekend. Like, you know what I mean? Like, actually, that says it all, right? Not living a life that you would expect somebody that age to be living. And she doesn't even really like him. She's suspicious of him from the moment that they meet and and not attracted to him. It you, th- That doesn't, that's one of the things that I think is so interesting. It's like, there's a kind of, uh, he, he gives her attention and she is sort of wrapped up into that attention, which he continues to give her. And it ends up being like a series of friend dates that of course culminates in a not friend date where they fuck. And then, you know, after that happens, um, she sort of realizes that he doesn't make her feel better. And so she moves away from that relationship and he's very cool and adult about it and it ends with this feeling of like nothing being settled for this girl and also you know this this guy character also not having changed much from the beginning to the end which I so I guess like I read it and I was so swept into this narrative because I totally remember being in my early 20s and I think like one of the things that like characterizes my early 20s the most is this feeling that I did not know the difference between a good decision and a bad decision not only that, I had no idea what I even liked or needed or desired or anything like that. And I kept putting myself in these horrible, like often like really horrible situations where men twice my age took advantage of me, you know, because of course that's what they're going to do. And they're going to tell themselves the whole time that they're doing it, that you're like really cool and really mature and they've never met anyone as cool and mature as you. And the whole like hoodwinking of that, seeing it now from the perspective that I'm, I'm at in my, you know, early 40s, it's just, I like I wrote this down and I, because I wrote a few notes and I, I wrote, in your early 20s, old fuck ups have their best shot at seducing you. That's when they can do it. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, sorry. Oh my God. Listening to you say all of this stuff is insane to me because I mean, I'm, you know, I'm 29, so I'm still like processing a lot of this. And like to hear you summarize the book in that way, just like was like weirdly cathartic because, yeah, I mean, the way the way that you framed it as like it kind of just ends in a lack of resolution. Um, I don't I mean, I don't really think that that it matters on like a spoiler level. So I just want to talk about the ending like really quickly. So the way that I ended the book is 
you know, she she goes back to this um, ex-boyfriend who's introduced way earlier in the book. And it's kind of like wrapped up in a nice bow, like, oh, they have a nice relationship. She moves in with him, blah, blah, blah. But there's this undercurrent um, in the way that it's framed of like, yeah, not really. But, you know, She's but kind this, of dist- the idea being that, yeah, that you need that, like, at this point, when you talked about the difference between a good decision and a bad decision, it's like, you just need something. You just need to be able to point to something and be like, this is what I'm doing now. And it doesn't even matter what it is. And that's like the profound feeling that I was left with personally after going through that experience. And also like the feeling that, that I wanted the book to give. So I I really am. I'm glad that, that you took that away from it. And yeah, I think, I don't know. There's so much that you said that I'm like processing on like a, you know, like this is also shit that happened to me level and, and, you know, trying to think of it in terms of, of a book that I like consciously wrote also. So my mind is like kind of going out of control right now, but, but yeah, say more, I guess. <laughs> when I think about it, it's like, really, it's a book about a girl who's so impatient to find herself. So impatient that she can't sit alone with herself to do that work and instead gravitates towards people who whose like I would say existential poverty like masks itself as something like asceticism or however you say that word asceticism you know what I'm saying not asceticism but like this kind of monkishness right yeah and that that looks like something wise when you're in the position of being so far from being being able to find yourself because they've basically made no choices like the you know or they've made anti choices right and that's like that's actually like a very comfy couch that you can sit in quickly you can you can say i'm 20 and like i don't know what i want to do and i don't know what i want but look at this guy. He didn't know what he wanted to do and he didn't know what he wanted. And you know what he did? He did nothing. And that's a choice. And I could do nothing too, right? And then throw into that the fact that like throughout the book, everyone is fucked up all the time on on multiple substances, right? Which I also totally remember from that time in my life that like the the casual and excessive amount of alcohol and drugs they were they were not questioned it, it felt like some sort of rite of passage that i just had to accept and continue to do without ever really asking myself like if i wanted another beer or another wine. like there's this scene where where your character goes to a Mexican restaurant and orders a glass of Merlot that's so terrible that they can't even finish it. And I just thought like, yes, you know, a hundred percent. Yes. There, when I was in my early twenties, I worked at the Boston law library. And when I would be done with work, I would sometimes go to this restaurant bar in central square called central kitchen which had like a nice long bar and i would sit at the bar and i would spend my money on 
a meal and a glass of wine. And admittedly, this was a good meal and this was good wine. And I would bring a book with me and I would sit there and I would completely, as your character does, pull myself out of myself and see like, oh, look at this interesting woman sitting at the bar. Isn't she young? What is she reading? Crime and Punishment? Whoa, we've got a thinker here, folks. You know, and it's like, it was so upsetting for me for so long to look back at me during that time and not just want to cringe and not just want to like, you know, fucking throw a, a fork at my own head. But now I look back and I'm like, but of course this is what what we what we are in that time because we're children who are playing at being adults. And especially, you know, in my case, like I had left home at 17 and moved to Pittsburgh, which we also have to talk about Pittsburgh um, because the book is set in Pittsburgh and, uh, and that's where I, that's actually where I went to college. But um, I, because I had been, I hadn't been given, I, I didn't have any, role models for what cool, self-sufficient, self-actualized personhood looked like. Yeah, I, I, I think, I don't know, I think that's also, you know, where in the book, the, the character, um, she gravitates toward Jay, the older guy, because he's he's like a role model of sorts. And, you know, even though I think ultimately she realizes on some level that it's it's a role model for a version of adulthood that she isn't like on board with necessarily, it's something. And it's it's closer to, you know, some ideal for her than than anything that ha had come before it. And so, yeah, I mean, it's so so funny to hear you talk about this stuff because when I wrote it, I was like, this is like, especially at the time that I, when I started writing this, I was maybe like 24, 25, I don't know. And I was like, still very much like in, in it. And I was like, this is like all very insular, like navel gazing. This is just shit that happened to me. And, you know, now I recognize that not to be the case, but it's really, it's really strange and really, really cool to have that like reflected back at me and then also to be hearing it now it's just i think i think autofiction is um is looked down on in this like i would love i could spend another two hours talking about this but autofiction is sometimes looked down on in this like very it's the way that it's looked down on is also very gendered but it's also like it, it's seen as as navel gazing or, or a sort of less than way of approaching literature in a in a lot of people's minds and I wish that weren't the case because I feel like even even just as a navel gazing self therapeutic exercise being able to like sublimate all of that shit and put it into something that exists outside of yourself and have other people bounce off of it in their own unique ways is very personally valuable I don't think it's just you know jerking off I think it's a real like I don't know like it's it's a really like fundamental way of connecting you know with other people in their experience so it's it's cool to to you know continually have that reflected back at me and it's it's really valuable for me so thank you for everything that you're saying yeah no I mean uh, I like I I think the value of the book is I I don't question the value of the book at all but the other thing I was just thinking about the 
the roles that this character main character is trapped in so the first relationship that she's in she's in with this like super needy super controlling guy who's her age and I was thinking about this just now which is that like the role that she's offered to play in that relationship is caretaker is like you know his needs before my needs and like he has this weird quirk where he doesn't ever want her to shower alone and so he continually comes into the shower and and just observes her and and just like needs to be there to like witness her in this like intimate act that happens every day and like you know it is actually one of life's like pure pleasures I think <laughs> to to shower to to bathe to be alone with your body in that time and he completely takes that away from her right so so it's like to to see that relationship in contrast to the relationship with the J character where the J character is is actually like not putting those demands on her, right? And so that seems like a sort of freedom. But but that's a, it's a it's a freedom as a it's not a real freedom. It's like a it's a very trapped way of being because because he's so stuck and he'll never go anywhere. And and to be with someone that's stuck which uh, spoiler alert, I have had many relationships <laughs> with with people who are that stuck. And what happens is you outgrow them and they resent you for it. They think you sold out or they think you are a bitch or they think you're uptight or whatever it is. And so it's like this precious time that gets like um, like a woman in her early 20s is, you know, kind of the society looks at that age and that time in a woman's life as like their most sexually viable, right? It's like it's when our moms got married or our grandmas got married, you know, like we are a generation that like didn't do that. But still, there was so much attached to being that age and and being like ripe and young and and there for the picking or whatever. And I think about I think about that character in that book as being kind of like very trapped in that ingenue role, like being forced to stay there to have any to have a little agency makes you fun and flirty to have more agency than that makes you um, annoying or scary or mean. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I think, yeah. I mean, besides just co-signing everything that you said, I think to get into the Pittsburgh stuff, like I think for me, when I was living in Pittsburgh myself and like the reason, part of the reason I set the book there was like, to me, Pittsburgh, and and again, you know, I have my own baggage and hard feelings, but Pittsburgh felt to me very much like a place where everyone who was there was fucking stuck. 
they were stuck. And part of that is, you know, the ex-Rust Belt city sort of thing where people who grew up in that area, you know, they have a totally different experience of living in that city. And like, you know, they're very stuck on that. And also like, that there's like something with smaller cities, I feel, where it becomes like this, this relationship that you, that you, you know, this bad relationship that you can't leave because it's like, you hate it, but you also love it for the same reasons that you hate it. And it made you who you are and you love yourself and you hate yourself. And so you can't ever fully sever yourself from that. And so that's definitely like the way that that living in Pittsburgh kind of made me feel like and I, I only lived there for a year and I kind of like lived on that side of the state for a while. So it was like that was like the kind of central city that I would go to. And I I never felt like I could have a relationship with it because there was not room for me. You know, mm. there was it was a, especially because of the people that I knew while I was there. It was like a city that's very much about what it what it was like, you know x amount of years ago and and so in that way like not to sound like a fucking douchebag but like like pittsburgh is a character in there too (laughs) and and i i mean i get into this even in in tell me as well like you know the the way that i talk about it is 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 you know still like that it's just it's a relationship that serves you for a period of time and you have to leave because it it you know wants to it wants to assert like this very specific story that that doesn't include you. And so, yeah. I mean, that is, I don't know where, where did you actually grow up? Where, where, where did you have your, I grew up outside of, I was born in Philadelphia and I grew up outside of Philly and then I went to college up in Erie, Pennsylvania. And so everyone that I knew from that time was kind of like from the Pittsburgh area. And so like, that's kind of where I gravitated to after finishing undergrad, because that's where like all of my social relationships and stuff were. So I'm kind of like a Pennsylvania connoisseur, which is like the most useless thing to be, but I have lived all over the state at this point. Um, well, I have to say like, because I grew, I grew up in LA, which is a certainly like a cultural Mecca and has a lot of, um, a lot to say for itself in terms of what you have access to. But if you are a child growing up in L.A., up until the time that I left, I mean, I think I had a car the last year that I was there, but I couldn't do anything in L.A. Like, you have so little autonomy as a kid because you have to drive to go to anything or be anywhere. There is no such thing as, like, a neighborhood. We didn't know our neighbors, you know, I lived in Van Nuys where like the only place that I could walk to was like a Kinko's and a Little Caesars pizza. And there were way better options, you know, it, it so why would I do that? And then when I got to Pittsburgh, I it was really great. It was like an amazing amount of independence and autonomy that I had never experienced for one thing, because I was like liberated from my family home and finally on my own. And for another thing, because like you could go places on foot, like you could walk, like I, you know, from my university, I could walk to 
this coffee shop called the Kiva Han and there was a noodle restaurant there and there was a bookstore there and then I could walk over to Squirrel Hill or take the 61C bus to Squirrel Hill and then there was a cafe called the 61C that was like a cool coffee shop and I could sit there and I felt like Pittsburgh was was paradise because the scale of it for somebody who was, you know, on their own for the first time, it was very easy to manage. And so I could really understand like what freedom bought me, like what it meant to walk around on my own and go places. So my, yeah, so I have like a very soft spot for Pittsburgh because of that. And it wasn't until I was living there post-college and sort of out of that scene. And I was living in, um, Bloomfield, which is like a more, I think I cut out. Did you hear me? Yeah, I heard you. Okay. Yeah. I was living in Bloomfield. Um, and, and it was only when I was there for like the fifth year in a row that I was sort of like, okay, you know what? Like, I, 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 I don't need to stay in Pittsburgh. Like there, there are probably other places that I can, sit in a coffee shop yeah I mean when I lived there I lived so I that whole the whole situation of me moving there was a total mess so I ended up living I lived like downtown where there's yeah, nothing downtown is awful you describe it very um, well by the way yeah it's really bad um and the reason I'm, I moved there was because I had just like gotten like, again, like just some random ass like office job. And I was like, oh, that'll be quick, you know. And to me, I was like minimizing the amount of time that I have to take to get to work is like the best thing I could possibly do. Um, but honestly, I think I would have had a, a much better and different experience if I had lived in literally any other neighborhood. And in fact, last year, I my sister lives out in Pittsburgh now. Um, she went to Pitt. Um, and she loves it out there. She has like built this whole life for herself. She's um, four years younger than me and she has a great time out there. And she's very much like, you know, a Pittsburgh person now. And, and I haven't gone out to visit her because partially I have lots of weird baggage, but also it was like COVID era and a lot of stuff going on for both of us. So I finally made the trip out there over the summer and I had an awesome time, like not living there and not having to like do all of the daily life stuff and just being able to like, wander around and explore things and just sit in places and it was great I had a really great time and, and part of me really felt not bitter because it's it's all you know my own my own shit that I could decide to let go of at any time but I was like you know it's like I saw this whole other possible life that I could have had you know mm. it was a very weird experience because I, I I wanted for you know for a lot of my own reasons I wanted to be like this place sucks and it was bad for me and it was like a part of my life that shouldn't have happened and when I went back there I was like no like it could have gone a totally different way and I could have been happy there too and I, I instead of being like oh I have regrets it was more like oh I can be I can make something wherever I am I could have made it work there but I didn't and that's okay you know and that realization was you know really really powerful for me because I you know, I, even all the stuff that I just said about how it feels like a city where everyone's stuck and stuff that it's like, that's, you know, my own subjective experience. And, and there, it's, it's not hard to, to build the life once you know what you want. 
you know, it's, it's hard and that it takes time to find those things. But I think I'm starting to realize that, that just figuring out what it is you want and even picking a direction to go or, or allowing yourself to explore that and not be afraid of what comes up when you ask yourself what you want. That's mm. the part that's difficult. It's not the external stuff all the time. No. Um, it's kind not, of, you know, that, go ahead. It's, it's interesting. I mean, it, like what you're saying about Pittsburgh reminds me of what you said about the people in Misery Loves Company. Where, you, you know, where, you, where you, like we're, we're, we're developing a, a sense of your patterns here, here on self-exposure. And I, I would say that you, you know, you maybe like go hard in one direction and in going hard in that direction, feel the need to tell yourself that that that's the that's the narrative that will propel you forward, and it propels you forward by by going away from that thing, only to find like a few years down the road that maybe like you were hasty in your assessment. Yeah, you pretty much <laughs> you pretty much pinned me down there. I. And it's funny because it, you know, it's coming up in all kinds of ways right now for me, especially, but it, it really is like the safest thing to do when you're in a position where you feel ostracized or you feel like, I don't know, where, where you feel lost is, is to just, if you don't know how to go towards, if you don't know what you're going towards, there's always something to, to, to rail against or be afraid of or point to and say, not, I'm not this. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, the whole, the whole theme of my life has a thousand percent been, um, to allow nuance and, you know, you know, I have BPD too. So it's, it really is like, I'm, my whole thing is I have to learn how to acknowledge gray areas and, and allow nuance and, um, accept that conflicting things can be true at the same time and, and also give myself a break for the times where I was not able to acknowledge those things. And so all that stuff is, is totally interwoven. You're right. Um, I wanted to bring up the latest poetry collection because I think, Oh, I think it's interesting in contrast to um, this book, which the fountain to me is a book about like uh, not being able to acknowledge that you're not feeling it, you know, and, and going, keep going, hoping that like some magical moment will happen where you, where it all makes sense and you were meant to go that way all along. Whereas like the poetry collection that you put out most recently is about a desire and an attraction that's so strong that it is unshakable and borders on obsession and like cannot be denied. And so it's just really interesting to me that like back to back, those are the books that you wrote. Do you, do you, do you acknowledge, do you know what I'm saying at all? I know what you're saying and I'm going to make it even more complicated because I wrote tell me I wrote that right as I was waiting for Bukowski's ghosts to come out. I've had that book sitting on my computer for years and years and so it was finished pretty much finished before the fountain was even like i you know a thought um it just happened to come out after and there are very like specific personal reasons why i waited so long to put that book out um which you know there's like a there's like the whole preface where i kind of go into a little bit of that and so 
that the chronology being that way in terms of like how the books came out just makes it even more complicated because I actually feel like all of this stuff in, inside of me was happening at the same time. Uh. So, so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, I guess, the, you know, it's another issue of like, there's two extremes and not, I kind of had to process those things separately in different ways. And yeah, I mean, tell me is another is, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say it's about all of them, but it's another, it's another special book for me because it was releasing a lot of that, like, guilt over being feeling so strongly pulls in a direction and I don't know why I mean I know why there was guilt in the ways that in which I did it but I I don't know why there was guilt about about feeling that that compelled in Mm -hmm. any direction but I think that there was and that's that's also you know that's that's another general uh kind of kind of neurosis that I that I (laughs) deal with so yeah, I, I don't want to push you to say too much about the personal. No, no go for cir- it. I'm not squeamish. I just don't want to whine. So. Okay. Well, no, because I like, okay, so f- from what I could gather, like you were in a relationship that was that was, um, you know, supportive and uh, and and not terrible. You were in a not terrible relationship. And um, and then you met somebody unexpectedly and that was basically it. It was like the um, the amount of of just raw connection, energy, sexual attraction between the two of you was so strong that it led you to leave the relationship you were in and go into the relationship with this other person. Yeah, that's basically what happened. Um, the, I guess the the part that that isn't really directly it's it's intimated but it's not like directly said is is basically i also just like left pittsburgh for that relationship too so it was like all of that stuff um kind of coalescing and like be being so obsessively attracted to a person that like i'm willing to to drop everything is not disconnected from also just being relieved that there is something that i feel strongly enough that I want something enough that I'm willing to do this. Um, and then also around that same time, like realizing through this whole process that like, there's some like pathological shit going on within me in regards to this relationship and the way that I've been approaching life in general, like the impulsivity, but also like the stubbornness and the unwillingness to acknowledge nuance and the unwillingness to sit alone with my thoughts and the unwillingness to let the other person also be a person who needs to sit alone with their thoughts and and deal with their own shit. All of that coalescing at once, you know, and then, and then realizing after the fact that, that I was like, you know, really going through it because I have borderline personality disorder, like all of that stuff swimming around in a soup together um, I'm lucky that I somehow didn't fuck up my life even more. Like this is pretty tame in terms of ways to abandon and fuck up your life and have to rebuild it. So true, I, you know, can't complain, but all that stuff is, is, is definitely really intimately connected for me. And it's, there's, I don't know, there's been certain times in my life where I look back and I'm like, those years were bad. Like those years were really bad. I don't think that about this time. It's just that they were a lot. 
a lot mm-hmm. happened. A lot of ground was covered. And ultimately, I think for, for the best. But yeah, I don't I don't know what else to say. I mean, but so what you were that. you were what you were saying about the chronology is that when you were in the heat of this relationship that took you away from Pittsburgh, that was the time that you were also writing the fountain. No, I okay. was writing. I was writing. Tell me during that time. Okay, like, that I makes sense. That I, I can't imagine yeah. that 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 you in the state that you were in would be able to focus on writing anything except for like yeah, like you know, horny dick poems. <laughs> which, yeah, <laughs> which yeah, they no, were. Completely. That was so. Like, I really. It was really interesting to read that because you really capture a feeling of like a loss of control in the face of desire, right? Which I cannot remember the last time that that happened to me. It's like it doesn't, it doesn't, I don't seem to be a person for whom that happens to. But it was really nice. It was really nice. It like gave me a kind of like vicarious horny hope to read it. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. That's like the perfect blurb. But but yeah, I mean, I, I this was like shit I was writing, like sitting at my desk at my shitty job that I was kind of checked out of, like not at all present in in any kind of moment, like basically living between producing this poetry and trying to like not completely lose my mind, going back and forth on a Greyhound bus across the state to see this guy and like just sitting, looking at my phone, waiting Mm -hmm. to hear something, waiting for some kind of stimulation to come over um, through the internet to to make me think and write and want more. It was just, it was like an incredible time. Would not repeat it. Mm. Like, hope it never happens again. But also it was like an incredible, an incredible time. (laughs) Was that the... Like in ter- like another, ma- if this question is too personal, you can, yeah. But was that the first time that you had had a sexual connection that was anywhere near that strong or had that happened before? Yes, ab- absolutely. Well, I'll say requited a connection, sure. <laughs> Being that obsessed with someone, absolutely not. That's been like just the way it's always been for me. But to have it, to be able to like have it even remotely reciprocated, just like sent me you know, on into new levels of like pathological horniness. Like that could, that again, hope it never happens again for a lot of practical reasons, but Jesus Christ, like yeah. incredible time. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I, I, I think there, like, I forget this song, but there's some song that's like, like, I'm going to fuck you so hard I lose my job. And I, I think that's sort of the, <laughs> you know, that's sort of the vibe yes. of that interaction is like, you know, it, you will throw it all away and so will they. And there, and, and, and for, you know, it makes sense, especially now, like, I don't know. I think about like the, the lack of connection between human beings, the like to be that swept up in another person's physical body and person it's almost like we're losing the ability to feel that way. So 
I mean, not that I, I'm, you know, I have two daughters. It's not like I'm like dying for them to throw their lives away, you know, in search of, you know, orgasms. Um, but, but I don't want them to be like so, so enslaved to like a digital facsimile of that feeling either, you know? I don't know. I'd like, I just think that um that like the the way that the the way that you can get like a cheap version of a lot of things and you can you can kind of binge on cheap versions of a lot of things like that really scares me a lot for the future. Yeah, I agree with you and I think there is something something to be said for like being able to actually connect with someone, whether it's on a sexual level or not, like there's so much, um, I mean, I don't have a ton of experience with this myself, so I'm really just like parroting discourse that I've read to be fair. But like, even with like dating apps and shit like that, it's like, there's always this sense that there's something better or like you have to be doing this kind of practical calculus at all times. Like, am I happy enough? Am I happy in the right way? And so to, to ever have any point in your life where you're just like, no, this is exactly what I want. Or like, I'm happy in, in the way that matters to me right now is like, is a special thing. And there is, I, I'm growing to appreciate, I think that, that I'm maybe more capable of that than other people because of the way that I am and because I have the impulses that I do. And that's, that's a scary thing, but also I'm, I'm glad that I can feel it for as long as I can feel it. When were you diagnosed with BPD? Um, like 2019. It was after oh. I, moved, after I moved out of Pittsburgh. Um, and I had, I had had suspicions before just having read a little bit about it, but, um, yeah, it, Wait, I mean, is it? It's borderline or it's bipolar. I actually don't it's not know. Bipolar. It. It's not bipolar. So, so borderline is like, it's um. You, that's what BPD stands for. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, all right. Good that we clear that up. That's yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Talk about it. Do you know? Do you know what that is? Because if not, I it's, can. It's the girl interrupted one, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like, um. Yeah, I mean, for it, it manifests differently for, for different people. But for me, a lot of it is like, it's not just fear of abandonment, because I that really is circumstantial for me. Like, I obviously like I have I have issues with that. But, but for me, it's more just like emotional instability these days and an and inability to not get locked on to things. And I think part of the reason that things went the way they did when I was living in Pittsburgh is because it was I thought I was doing really well. Um, and it's because of that way of coping that's just deciding I'm not going to do anything because if I do, I feel like if I do something, I will just fall off a cliff. Mm -hmm. Like, and so, yeah, for me, it really manifests in like just being kind of impulsive, being kind of unstable. If something happens like between me and another person, whether it's like a relationship or whatever, it's very easy for me to be like, fuck that, like, fuck mm -hmm. that person. I'm done. Or other way around very easy for me to idealize someone for like being sort of nice to me and you know again it all circles back like me trying to play well with others me going into mlc me making friends with people who i didn't think i could like responsibly maintain relationships with because there are issues that we disagree on or like points of like 
tension between us, all of that stuff has been connected to, to me trying to, to work those issues out. So, yeah. Well, I think that your, your openness and your honesty about it is really exciting. And I, I hope like it informs future work because I think it's like, it's just a really fascinating insight to have into yourself, like to, to now have this, this rubric to pick apart like how you parse the world it's it's I think it'll I think it'll be fruitful to like view things in hindsight and have compassion for yourself and write about them I definitely think so I mean I have the book coming out with malarkey in April called Thumbsucker which is the newest stuff that I will have put out in a really long time like the stuff I put on tell me was really old um, the poems that I put out in Halsey's Ghosts are pretty old. So this is like the first time I'm putting out stuff that's from even within like the last two or three years. So I'm really excited about that. And I do think some of it is a little bit of a departure just in terms of the the type of reflection that goes on. And like there is still that immediacy, but also, you know, there's a little bit of like old guy wistfulness going on in there. And I think that, you know, my, my, my you know, mental health journey or whatever the fuck is a big part of that and so i'm excited to see you know how that lands and is you that, know is that what people take out of that is that poetry or prose yeah poetry. yeah um and, and it's you can pre-order it now from malarkey books oh <laughs> exciting when when is yeah. when is the release date april 1st april fool's day oh that's amazing what's it called thumb sucker thumb sucker okay one word yeah awesome well, I think that's a good place to end. What do you think? Is there anything else that you want to bring up? No, I don't think so. Oh, wait, there was one thing. You mentioned a specific page in the fountain. And I, I, I opened up the page and I was expecting to see a specific thing there. And I was like, okay, she doesn't want to talk about like this very specific like sex scene that I wrote. But then I wasn't sure why you had brought it up. And I wish I could remember what page it was. I wonder, I actually wonder if because I got a PDF, it's different from what you're you're holding in front of you. Well, do you remember? Uh, I remember what like, it was. It was like you were, you had to get in the car and you were, you were leaving the, um, the cemetery and you were like feeling woozy and you had to get in oh, the car. Oh, I have it in front of me. Okay. You said 93. I have it in front of me. Is okay. that the right page then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the, you know, if if you get in the car, you don't have to make any more decisions. Like this is, you just yeah. have to make one more decision. Yeah, I think that was that, it. Is I, that like where yeah, you were going with I, that? I, I, I want it, be, to me, it really encapsulated like all of the themes of the book are on that page to me because it's this sort of like, you know, there's a reference to the previous relationship. There's a sense of like, real rudderlessness with the situation that she's in with Jay. And then there's also like, it goes in two paragraphs. It goes right into death, into like understanding why death would be a relaxing choice. Like I think that was what was really interesting to me because I think that that paralysis yeah, that was it. I just thought like, oh, wow, you know, I, I think that's where I would like I really summed up for me like it helped like that was where I sort of was able to f flick back to my own early 20s and thinking like, 
oh my God, is the rest of my life just going to be like, what do I do now? And what do I do now? And what do I do now? Like, is there never going to be any rest to this like choice making? And then it, once you make a choice, are you just going to sit there and like regret all the choices you didn't make? And yeah, I don't know. I just thought that we we talked about everything I wanted to talk about in relation to that quote, but that was that was sort of that was where I was headed to, like themes wise. Yeah. Yeah, I totally can see that. Yeah, I was really curious because I I was expecting you to be like, what? Well, like you said this and I was like, oh, I'm glad I don't have to talk about that. And then I was like, I wonder like where her head was at with that page. So that it yeah. really makes sense to me now having had this. Yeah, well, it was amazing so. to talk to you. And I, yeah, that's like, I'm I excited. I, f- I feel like we're we're sort of friends now. Yeah, and uh, yeah. And I'm I'm looking forward to. Yeah. To like uh, whatever comes next for us. Yeah. Okay. I mean, thank you for having me on. This was awesome. Um, does not feel like we've been talking for probably over an hour at this point. Like, yeah. Good. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, have a good weekend. See you later. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye.